This is the Next Simple Step Podcast. I'm Paul Goldsmith. You may be just one connection away from the work you've always dreamed of doing or the clients you've been chasing, but how do you find those connections? Let's get real tactical and ask the expert. Lindsay McMillan Steeman, better known as LinkedIn Lindsay, is the guest today on the Next Simple Step Podcast. So Lindsay, first of all, Instagram, TikTok, that's all the rage. Isn't that where everybody hangs out? Why did you go all in on LinkedIn? Well, LinkedIn is the old fogey in the room, believe it or not, Paul. A lot of folks don't even realize that LinkedIn's older than Facebook, right? It's the F word. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I've been a user. I always say that and then kind of giggle because like it's a drug or something. But I've been on LinkedIn for <laughs> for a long, long time. I mean, really back when people thought you were only on LinkedIn if you were looking for a job, but I wasn't looking for a job. I was looking for new connections and new relationships as a green and brand new salesperson up in the DC metro area. And it proved to be such a powerful tool to foster new relationships, to establish my credibility. I can only maintain so many relationships in between my two ears. And so I really use LinkedIn even 15 years ago as like my backup database, you know, as my 21st century Rolodex, where it feeds me real time information of things happening to people who are important to me in my network. And I don't have to remember. All I have to do is take action on it when I get the notification. Okay. That's incredible. So you went from user to making this a core part of your business. So you actually consult entrepreneurs and business leaders in the LinkedIn space. So what was the inspiration for that to make it your whole business? Yeah. I mean, I think when you have your own success, I think, Paul, you would agree in the the space that you're in just being, I, I feel like a lot of people who are coachable are also coaches by nature. And so, right, like I Absolutely. love seeing other people win. I love winning and I love seeing other people win. So when I started really moving the needle in my sales goals and sales targets with the activity and things I was doing inside of LinkedIn, I realize, wow, like other people need to know this. I, I don't need to keep this a secret. There's too many opportunities that people are missing out on. And so through being a keynote speaker at conferences and working with companies directly and helping them understand how to make sure there's several layers to it, but one in particular is how to make sure that reputation they have offline in their field, in their career, in their amongst their peers is actually the same person online, specifically through LinkedIn. And so just so much of it is around the topics of authenticity and transparency and really helping people sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable because they're like, oh, I don't like talking about myself. And my job and my team's job is to help them talk about themselves in a way that feels authentic and true to who they are so that when they have that offline, off LinkedIn conversation, people feel like, oh, that's the Paul I read about, right? There's that instant connection because we've already jumped a few steps ahead in the rapport building process when people have done their homework and researched who we are. Well, I can relate to what you said a few moments ago about only using LinkedIn when I was looking for a job before I became an entrepreneur or like I was having a really bad time at my job. It's like, okay, time to go look for jobs. And that's the place on LinkedIn. But I've realized in the last couple of years, it's so much more. It really is about making connections. And your tagline on LinkedIn is connect with purpose. And I see you living that out every day. How do you find purpose by just connecting with people on LinkedIn? 
Thank you for asking that. I don't know if anyone has asked me that question before, Paul. To me, LinkedIn is really just a vehicle and a tool to facilitate and foster relationships. It is not the place where we're staying, meaning that our goal is still to, like I said earlier, get offline, to have the phone call, the Zoom meeting, the in-person coffee, to really build authentic and real, genuine relationships. And so my approach, which isn't the same approach as any professed LinkedIn expert. I like to say I'm a LinkedIn credibility consultant, but some folks have the philosophy of, oh, max out the number of connections and have 30,000 connections. And and listen, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with that, but that's just not the approach that I bring to market and that I, I present my clients with. Because most of the clients, if not all the clients I'm working with, they're really in the human to human business. And they're really in the business of building deep, genuine relationships of impact. And again, it's not a wrong approach to focus on just the numbers, but I'm of the belief that it's more about the quality. Here's the disclaimer I'll add though, before we jump past that is I'm not suggesting that you should only be connected with people who you know on LinkedIn. I was just telling somebody earlier today about one of my little trademark titles called the Who Pie, W-H-O. And the Who Pie is assessing who should be in your first degree network of connections. And I say, give or take five percentage points. In general, about 15% of the people who you are immediately connected with on LinkedIn should be people you don't know yet but you're using LinkedIn as another way to build that credibility with them, start the conversation. And it's a place where, hey, maybe you haven't been able to connect on the phone yet, or you've been chasing each other via email, but hey, they're active on LinkedIn. And this is a place where you might be able to start that relationship. I love that. We actually met in real life first and then connected on LinkedIn. So it's been kind of fun to see like in real life, you're the same way online being authentic and genuinely want to help people. And if it's been a while since somebody's used LinkedIn or they feel like they're not having the same connective experience that you're having, what are some simple steps they can take to better leverage LinkedIn for their network? It's a great question because I want to debunk the myth that LinkedIn is this unicorn of a platform, meaning it's not dissimilar from any other website on the internet. It can become a black hole and bottomless pit of wasted time if you have no idea why you're logging on and what you're trying to do. So let's just acknowledge that. Really, the next simple step can be as simple as asking yourself this question. What am I trying to accomplish? Or what do I want to accomplish Mm. before I get on this platform? Whether it's on my phone, on the mobile app, which almost 60% of LinkedIn members come in through the mobile app, or if it's on the desktop because I've got 10 minutes before my next meeting, what am I actually trying to accomplish? And when we ask that question first before jumping on and getting distracted and going down 20 different rabbit holes and coming up for air an hour later and we're like, where did that time go? Then we can actually start to measure and track that activity. So great example, I have worked with thousands of people over the last decade and have so many amazing success stories. I mean, our team can literally say, Paul, that we've helped our clients generate millions of dollars, which is just like makes makes my heart swell because that means impact, right? When we help clients make more money, that means they have the opportunity to impact other people's lives. And so one of my clients, quick story, 
he asks that question before he goes onto LinkedIn and he's developed this rhythm and routine of twice a week. Now he goes into LinkedIn every day, but in particular, he tracked his activity when he went in twice a week. And his goal for that time was to build his network and respond to whether it was invitations he's received or direct messages. And because he is so disciplined with that activity and that time, he knows that he will generate on average six to eight new meetings of which three on average will become new clients every week, every week. That's incredible. Every week. Why is he not doing this six days a week? Right. Well, because there's other stuff that's important, right? Into that recipe of being successful and productive on LinkedIn. Like, think about it. If he only went into LinkedIn and did that activity, that's yielding significant results. Let's call it on the low end, six meetings per week, of which half he's getting new business. Right. If he only did that twice a week, if you think about it, that type of activity of building the network and responding to people is really kind of behind the scenes, right? People don't know anymore. Years and years ago, LinkedIn used to tell us when new people became connected, but then the platform got so big. I mean, at this point, they're approaching 1 billion members globally, which is incredible, but they don't do that anymore. So that's like a private activity if you think about it. And then, of course, if we're direct messaging, right, in each other's inboxes, that's private as well. So if that's all that he did, then what is he missing? Well, he's missing the public activity of LinkedIn, positioning himself as a subject matter expert, proving to his network that he's a human, that he cares, not just about his community and the things he's doing, but also what other people are doing on LinkedIn and what they're seeing and contributing to those conversations. And then what he looks like on LinkedIn and how he's positioning himself through his profile. All of those activities that I just rattled off, all of those things are public facing. So that's how the other days of the week, right? How that time should be spent. Absolutely. But it helps him meet new people that then he can engage with. You mentioned direct messaging. Okay. I have a love hate with this. So tell us how to do this right. Because I've experienced a lot of people that do it wrong or they're bots, right? And you get these messages where, Hey, I came across your profile on LinkedIn and I think we would be a good connection. And it's a bunch of things that I don't care anything about, but they clearly don't know anything about me. And so that's the wrong way to do it. What makes for a successful direct message to connect with somebody? Yeah. So the first is, which you've actually already stated, believe it or not, is actually adding a personalized note. Now that doesn't guarantee, like you just said, hey, I saw your profile on LinkedIn, Paul, and we should be connected. It's like, but why? You right. like, I don't know anything about you. That's not enough, right? Yeah. I'm being super selective of who I'm adding to my network. But you do want to personalize that invite is number one. And I can go into several reasons why. But for the sake of time, the biggest thing that I would say is that it's not actually necessarily about what you say or what that person says in the invitation. So Paul, let me ask you this. If someone sent you a message, an invitation, just like that, that was pretty bland and mediocre. Yes, it was quote unquote personalized. By that, I just mean that they've added a note. But what if that person for over the next, let's just say week or two, started engaging with your content on LinkedIn, started actually commenting and trying to Number one, prove that they're a human being, right? And not a robot. And number two, seem to be showing genuine interest in what you have to say. 
and maybe jumping in on things that you're commenting on with other people's conversations, would that then build a little bit more credibility in your mind of, huh, you know, this person's name looks and face looks a little familiar. Oh, I've got an invitation that they're waiting for me to respond to. You know what? They've actually, they seem like a pretty decent person. Maybe I will accept them or maybe I will, because here's the other tactic. You can actually start a conversation with them before accepting or ignoring their invitation. So that's another tactic. Not everyone's worth that extra step, but I just am curious, knowing that now, if that person showed some level of interest for a period of time through engaging with your activity, would that change your opinion on what the actual message said potentially? Yeah, 100%. And I'm feeling a little guilty here that I haven't done that. And I'm also thinking of an example where somebody did that poorly in that they engaged with a bunch of posts, like one after another. Yes. And then a day later sent me a direct message. It was clear that they were trying to short circuit the whole thing and just cut to the front. And it was like, well, we haven't built a relationship here. That was a drive by. <laughs> and you haven't actually engaged me in conversation. It was clear he was attempting to engage with my content. But well, like any relationship, it can't be rushed. It, you've got to take time. And actually, you want to be the most interesting person in a room. You've got to be the most interested. And the same thing applies online. Such great advice. Absolutely. And I love that you took my offering and then still gave a rebuttal to it, which is, hey, here's still the wrong way to do it because your apps, I've experienced that too, Paul, where somebody will <laughs> yeah. potentially, well, let's just say, did they have the right intentions? Who's to say? But they did the same thing, right? It was just like, bam, 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 bam. I'll follow you. I'll engage with a couple things. I'll send you an invite. I'll send you an in-mail as well. And then we'll let's see what happens. And to your point, it's all within like 24 hours. It's like, no, no, not going to fly. Nice try. Yeah. Don't ask somebody to marry you on the first date. I mean, it might work for one in a million. I say that all the time with LinkedIn. Advice. Absolutely. Yes. We got to go on a couple of dates before you go in for the proposal, right? Like, so. That's right. And there's a few steps in between, hopefully. That's so right. what are some other mistakes? Because I think we can learn and hopefully you learn from other people's mistakes. So you don't have to make them all yourself that people make on LinkedIn when building their network. Some people think that they have to be so exclusive. I'll go back to the who pie analogy. Well, Lindsay, I'm only connected to people who I know. And then I go see their level of connectivity, right? Their number of connections. And they've got like 86 connections or something or under 500. And I'm like, listen, I'm not suggesting that you should blow up your network and connect with every single person, but you're missing out on people who you might be able to start a conversation with, a relationship with, if you're only connecting with people who you know. It is appropriate and LinkedIn is a space and a platform to connect with people who you don't know yet. That's just the truth and that's the power of the platform. And then the inverse of that, which I shared earlier, is just thinking that you have to connect with everybody and then, or you use automation, right? You in, you use a plugin or some type of automation that blows up your network and you're like, oh my gosh, Lindsay, I'm connected to 7,000 people. And I would say, well, Paul, of that 7,000, what percentage do you actually know? And you'd scratch your head and you look at me and you're like, not very many, maybe 2%. And so I'd say, okay, not all is lost. Not all hope is lost. Now let's actually assess. So I've got a trademark process called the crown method. And I actually work through with clients and it takes months and months and months. And it's actually a really fun and rewarding process of let's actually 
take this existing warm market, which is your first degree connections, even if you don't know them, you still are connected with them, which is a touch point. How can we actually start to learn about these people, decide who makes sense to still be connected to, decide who might make sense to purge and clean out because they're not going to miss you and you're not going to miss them. And so, yeah, when it comes to building the network, it's really determining hey, what's the long game with this relationship? And also remembering, which I love what you said, is that it takes time and it's okay if I'm simply using LinkedIn as an entry point for that conversation. Well, I think this is a great opportunity for many of us because the last election cycle, I thought that's enough of Facebook, right? We just don't. (laughs) And I've noticed LinkedIn, at least in my network, it's non-political, which is a wonderful breath of fresh air. It's there for people to make connections and talk about their professional lives. And, And there's some personal content as well. So that would be a question. What percentage of the content would you recommend personal versus just talk business all the time? Yeah. I mean, let me go back to one thing you said, because I don't want to forget. LinkedIn, actually, I'd have to research when they release this, but in your settings and privacy in LinkedIn, there actually is a setting to turn off political content. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So there is political content on LinkedIn. You just might not be seeing it because I've self-selected out of those connections. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So some so to your point, Paul, when people say, Oh my gosh, LinkedIn is full of like talking cats and people and their puppies. And I'm like, Well, you know what that means? Those are the people you're connected to, my friend. You know, like you, you might want to do a little recon and audit of your first degree <laughs> right. connection. Stop liking them. That's right. That's right. Stop engaging with that stuff. Because again, LinkedIn is no different. There's garbage on the internet and LinkedIn is on the internet. There's not always awesome stuff on there either. But to go back to your question of personal versus professional, I'm still working on that and figuring that out myself. I don't have necessarily a specific breakdown of percentage wise, but let's just kind of play out a month of content. Okay. So if we say, because I want us to think about the content that we post being a mixture of several things. One, because professional has its own layers and so does personal. So professionally speaking, I do want to talk about my products and services because otherwise people people don't know how to hire me or how I can help them. So that's one tier of content. Another tier of content that's professional is about things that your network would find valuable. So I'll pick on myself. Not everyone in my network, Paul, shockingly loves LinkedIn as much as I do. So I don't just post about LinkedIn. But when I think about my network and who they are, well, they're entrepreneurs and they're busy and they're leaders and they care about time management and goal setting. So I post and find content, whether it's my own that I write or third party content, meaning from other publications, I post content about those topics because those are the topics that my network cares about. And I coincidentally care about them as well. So that when people think about LinkedIn or hiring a speaker or needing a profile transformation, I'm the person they think about because I've been thoughtfully putting myself in front of them and bringing them value outside of my specific scope of expertise. So those are two different professional types of content. On the personal front, It is okay to have personal content, even if it's just once a month for the sake of personal content. I'll give you an example. Well, we can put that kind of as its own standalone. The other type of personal content, which if I post anything personal, I tend to only post this, which is still giving it an air or spin of professional. For example, last year I picked up the hobby of fly fishing 
which I absolutely love. I love being outside in nature. And my team actually encouraged me to post that on LinkedIn. And I was like, what? No, that's way too personal. It seems like a Facebook or Instagram post. And they're like, well, why do you fly fish? It's like, well, I fly fish because I love being out in nature. I love to be disconnected, like as connected as my world is and everyone else's world. I love going out into the woods and being by the water and not having cell phone reception. And what I've realized is when I come back, I'm so refreshed and I'm that much more ready to show up and be present for my clients and my network and my team. And they're like, that's it. So we were able to take something very personal that people get to get a little peek behind the curtain of who Lindsay is, right, outside of this LinkedIn Lindsay consultancy. And I was able to tie it back to the professional reason as a business owner and entrepreneur and leader as to why it matters to me. And well, at the end of the day, people buy from people and they like to buy from people they like. And so if they can see you as their friend or somebody that they'd like to be friends with, that makes them a lot more likely they're going to hire you. So that makes a lot of sense that you do that. And you've mentioned a couple of times as far as you don't just put all your eggs in the LinkedIn basket. You're out there giving keynote speeches and networking. And as I mentioned, we met at Strategic Coach in Chicago a number of years ago. And you've been a part of that program for quite a few years, which meets every quarter in person. What's your reason for being in Coach and what have you gotten from it? Gosh, I love being around. First of all, I love being a small fish in a big pond. I am by far, I would say not not as much anymore since I'm aging as well. But when I first joined coach, I was typically the youngest person in the room. And it was so humbling. And it, it was also just like, I mean, I'd walk out of there, walk in with big eyes and walk out with bigger eyes and sometimes a headache because I would learn so much that you know, it was like overwhelming to try to think of implementing all of it. But, you know, I would say five plus years into it at this point that I love getting the pause away from the business, which is ironic because my whole team is remote and my office, you know, I've got one downtown and one here at home in my home office as well. And yet I still to physically change environments and be in a space where I can shut everything off and my team's got it and really experience a term that you're familiar with, Paul, and anyone else in strategic coaches, experiencing a self-managing business where I can step away, the company can still run without me, and I can focus on being the visionary and the future, thinking about the future of, of the company in my own life. So I love that. I love hearing other people's stories and challenges and being able to speak into them from my own perspective as well. It's such a a loving and reciprocal environment. So two concepts that have really stuck with me over the years. One is the entrepreneurial time system. So the free focus buffer days. I mean, I latched onto that so quickly and that's really assessing how we spend our time. And there's, as you know, Paul, so many layers to that and really... What I've learned with the entrepreneurial time system is that it, my entrepreneurial time system shifts and it evolves and it looks different. And I literally just had that nudge yesterday and I was like, ah, you know what? There's things on my calendar that just, I'm not even seeing anymore. My brain and my eyeballs just totally glaze over them and I'm not honoring them anymore. And it's time for a little entrepreneurial time system shakeup, right? So I've got my team to help hold me accountable. So that's one thing. And the other is the four C's formula. Do you remember that one? The four C's, commitment, courage, capability, confidence. I do. Well, first on the entrepreneurial time system, 
I think that's just all about being intentional with your time. Uh, a lot of people talk about work-life balance, but I think it's more about work-life integration and are you designing your life and uh, what is the optimal time? And so the way that strategic coach refers to the entrepreneurial time system is a free day is an entire midnight to midnight day without any work related activities. And it's so important. And I experienced this on a vacation a couple of years ago, one of my colleagues scheduled a meeting and they wanted me to be at, and it was like one meeting, (laughs) one o'clock in the afternoon, but all day I'm thinking about that meeting I got to go to. And I'm supposed to be on vacation, even though it was only a 45 minute meeting, one o'clock in the afternoon, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is I didn't get a day off and it interrupted the whole thing. So I'm a big believer in those free days when you protect that time, because that restores your mind and hopefully your body and helps you be a better worker when you get back to work. It gives you fresh inspiration. But on the focus and buffer days as well. So the focus time, the way I understand it is that's the time spent making the money, the thing you're paid to do. You are focused on those activities and then buffers everything else, picking up the dry cleaning, ordering supplies, whatever the case may be. The support stuff that has to happen gets done. And I'm wondering from your perspective, when you say that, you know, every six months or so you shake it up, is it that you decide that you need more of a certain type of day or it's they've all creeped up on each other and you need to just make sure that you are protecting your time and respecting the label you put on the day? Yeah, it's both and. Sometimes I'm, they're creeping up, right? And I'm realizing, uh, oh my gosh, like I, especially many members of my team have been with me long enough where they'll, they'll kind of start to see it in my face and hear it in my responses of, uh, it sounds like Lindsay's, uh, you know, some of the nuts and bolts are coming a little loose up there, which, you know, or maybe they're falling off because they're already loose. And, and it's like, okay, we go back to the calendar and we figure out like, okay, we're overbooking or, and it's, I mean, Paul, here's the deal. Like at the end of the day, I'm the one breaking the rules. My team, they, they hold to, I spent Kathy on my team. I mean, let me tell you, the puppet master of all calendars. And I love her for it. And it's me who breaks my own rules. And then also realizing just in different seasons, because our personal lives and our work lives overlap so much that sometimes we we need a little bit more of something that we haven't needed. Maybe it is that we need more free days because our energy is getting zapped more quickly, or we need a little bit more buffer time because we're building something. So yeah, I think it's both and that depending on the season and what's happening in, in your world. Yeah, I would challenge anybody listening, if you are not taking entire days off, start there. And I know that's a act of courage because I think the reason we don't take days off is fear, fear that we're going to fall behind, that we're not going to keep up and work as much as we can. And we're just addicted to whatever it is we're doing. And we're in the rhythm of that. Maybe you're really good at what you do and it's fun to do that, but there are multiple sides of your personality. And I look at it with what relationships are languishing as a result of that. Maybe it's a spouse or kids or just really good friends, whatever the case may be you're a whole person. You aren't just a person that works. And so I think as the LinkedIn expert here, it's refreshing to hear that you have that perspective. It's not just all about your professional network, but you as a person, like how are you cultivating all of your relationships, not just the professional ones? Absolutely. Well, and leveraging technology too. You might be a solopreneur right now. I mean, at one point we all started solo unless we had a business partner, which in my case, I I haven't. And 
the example I think about when if it's time for me to go on vacation, I really try to take off and I try to shut everything down, but I can leverage technology like scheduling emails through Gmail or scheduling content to go out through LinkedIn. LinkedIn has its own scheduling feature. So there are things that we can do to keep the business moving, even if we are on our own, if there are in fact things that need to happen and go out. So, and maybe not, maybe you just need to decide that you are actually taken off and you're off the grid and off the radar. And you know what? Everyone and everything will be there when you come back. You mentioned also the four C's formula. Walk us through like how you think about that. The four C's is something that I need a consistent reminder about because I forget it. It doesn't come naturally to me. I'll share with you a living example that my team and I are working through, and that is building our business online so that we can help more people. So in my world, that means moving into a membership model where I've got my signature online program called the Complete LinkedIn Profile Course, and then moving anybody who wants access to my brain on a consistent basis into a group training model. And that might sound very obvious and simple and not complicated, but there are so many steps that go in behind it. So the first thing I had to do was decide, you know what, and and Paul, you and I have spoken about this. I've dabbled in this the last several years, and I just decided this year you know what, I'm all in. So that's the first C is making the commitment. I'm committed to building this business online because I'm never gonna know if it works or if I like it until I really do it. So that's the first step is a commitment. So I made the decision. Second step is having courage. So that came in multiple forms for me, which was hiring experts who have experience in this online scaling space that I just don't have expertise in. So investing the money to and having the courage to make that investment and then having the courage to put myself out there and through my free masterclasses and in formats that I'm just not consistently haven't done up to this point in my business. I know that I'm an expert of the content I'm teaching, but it's a different format. It's a different way of of getting myself out there. So that's courage, the second C. The third is capability. So that's really the first part of what I think is the fun part. I mean, courage can be exhilarating, but capability, which is like, oh my gosh, I'm now developing this skill set to where I'm actually having four, which is the confidence. The fourth C is confidence. So it's this beautiful wheel, right? That just stays in motion that when my skill sets and my capabilities increase, then my confidence is a byproduct being increased through that new capability. And then you move on to your next commitment and courage and capability mm-hmm. and confidence and it just rolls over. and rolls and rolls. Right. You start over. Yeah, it never stops. Man, thank you for that reminder. That's such a powerful tool because I think we get to some level of success in our career or entrepreneurial journey and like, man, I've, I've made it. And then you're like, yeah, but I want to do something else. I want to do something more. And then you got to go back to the beginning and commit to that bigger goal. And it really starts like, well, this might not work. <laughs> I actually yes, don't know totally. if this is going to work out. And that's where that courage kicks in. I'm committed to the result. So I'm going to be courageous and actually do what's required. I mean, I'm going to take the course. I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to hire a virtual assistant, whatever the case may be. How are you going to leverage that opportunity and go for it knowing that it's not guaranteed? Like that's the point. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But then of course, once you do learn that capability and then you have the confidence, you can do it at a, at a greater level. And I think that is such a important thing because 
it can be really discouraging. And I think about this term called the ceiling of complexity often and realize that we all hit that at some level. And that's kind of our baseline. That's where we coast until we commit to a bigger future, a bigger goal, and then have to have the courage to walk toward it. And then the courage to, if it doesn't work, to try again or or to not give up, right? And so that's never ending. I don't think that from my perspective that we ever, well, we've learned enough. Like this is where it's at. Like I can't relate to that, right? It's like always be learning and growing. And that's why I think your business is so wonderful is because you're learning from all the different connections that you're making. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I love about the four C's formula, and I think it ties in so beautifully with the name of your podcast, Next Simple Step. Your first simple step is to make the commitment. Then your next simple step after that is to have courage. Then your next simple step effort, right? So it's like, it's it's (laughs) very process driven. Yeah. And I love what you said, Paul, about Sometimes we get stuck in certain quadrants of that circle of the four C's and and that's okay. And sometimes the capability, we realize ah, we don't have the capability. So we have to find somebody else to execute. And sometimes we don't find that person. So then we have to go back to commitment and find a new commitment, right? So I don't, I think it's okay to go back to the top of the four C's of commitment when it doesn't make its full cycle. Now, I would argue that in hindsight, You can look back at the experience where you maybe, quote unquote, got caught up on the capability and perhaps you actually did, in fact, develop new confidence through that next commitment when you were looking back because you realized, oh, well, now I have confidence in this new thing I'm doing that I wouldn't have had had I not stopped the other thing that wasn't working. Right. So maybe it actually does always come full circle. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah. No, that's a great perspective. I and mean, we do learn from our failures. We avoid them, or at least I avoid them at all costs, but they're so valuable in the future because you know what doesn't work. That's right. <laughs> and that's right. I love the, got a t-shirt that says, but did you die? Right. You're still here. That's <laughs> so right. you get another right. shot. And Simon Sinek says, we're playing the infinite game. And the only rule is don't quit playing the game. You still got an opportunity to pick up where you're at and try something else. And Lindsay, thank you so much for this valuable conversation. I'm sure there's going to be lots of follow-up conversations if LinkedIn hasn't been on somebody's radar. It's been a while since they've updated their profile or logged in or whatever. I will put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes there. And is there a particular place that you would encourage somebody to start if they're really wanting to engage with your content or to learn more about LinkedIn? Yeah, thanks for offering. I mean, it's such an easy one, but our website, mcmillionconsulting.com, it's literally MC million, like it sounds, consulting.com. There's a resource at every level, whether you want free access to my brain every week through LinkedIn Insider, or you're ready to engage at a premium level and have me do the heavy lifting and transform the way you look or anything in between. So I think that's probably the easiest place for folks to go. And please don't ever hesitate. Thanks for putting my LinkedIn URL in the show notes. Uh, Reach out to me. Let me know that you found me here so that I actually accept your invitation. (laughs) And then would love to have a conversation with you. Paul, thanks so much for having me. This has been great. Yeah. And don't just ask Lindsay for stuff. Engage with her content. Thank you. <laughs> and bring value. I'll take, it. I'll take it. No spam in the DMs. Thank you, Lindsay. This is super helpful. So I appreciate you being here and hopefully we can have you back sometime and learn more about all the new features and things that they're rolling out at LinkedIn and hear from you. So thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thanks, Paul. 